This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. It's almost COVID-19 booster time again. The National Advisory Committee on Immunization is now recommending an additional COVID booster dose this spring for various segments of the population. And these are adults 80 and over and those living in long-term care homes and other congregate settings for seniors or those with complex medical needs, all adults 18 plus who are moderately to severely immunocompromised, and adults 65 to 79 who do not have a known history of being infected with COVID-19. While filling in for Libby, I talked about the latest recommendations on COVID boosters with our Zoomer squad. John Wright is Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Policy and Chief Operating Officer at CARP, and David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media. I started the conversation by asking David if he will get another COVID booster this spring based on the new recommendations. Well, it's a little bit um, hard to figure out what it means. I mean, it's easy for me because I'm just going to get the thing anyway. You know, if there's a new booster, and I'm just going to stay current on that program and I don't try to finesse the the finer points, but who do not have a history of being exposed to right. that. What is that? A exactly? known history. Like, yeah. in other words, you may have had COVID, but you were asymptomatic. So as far as you know, you haven't had it right. all the way along and you're 65 to 79. So that's a but new... did I not have it because I got the previous shots, which I did? Yeah. And why don't they just say, just everybody go get a booster if In you're that over age 65? Group. Yeah. Know, well, the distinction between 65 to 79 and then 80 plus, it's a little bit slicing and dicing it, a little bit right. tricky for Two me. Two in the to, weeds, maybe. I think so. Yeah. I think so, but it's still great advice, and I think everybody should get it. Bill, I can ask you the same question. Yeah, absolutely. And Dave is right. It, it's confusing. Uh, when I knew we were going to be talking about this today, I went uh, online to have a look at what the most recent uh, uh, information is in Ontario and from uh, NACI. And because although I was aware of what they had said last fall, I was looking for what had happened in the last few days. And it's so confusing to try to read through uh, all the, uh, I think, uh, 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 very unclear statements. And this has been the problem that we've had all along with the vaccines. One of the things that really did strike me was depending on where you look, only between 30 and 50 percent of people who are already eligible for the boosters have actually had their boosters. In fact, in some pro- uh, provinces, it's as low as 25 percent have had uh, their their boosters. So people weren't getting the boosters that were were recommended last fall, let alone the new violence now that, that they're saying all of us should uh, should get. The government somehow must be have to be more clear about this. And the 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 uh, people who are 
not trusting the the government's recommendation, the NACI recommendations. Uh, more and more, we're we're hearing from them and not from from others, and and partly it's because they're confused by this information, and so uh, disinformation uh, uh, abounds beca- because of it. So. Uh, we really have to uh, urge our governments and others to make these recommendations clear, simple, and uh, understandable. Otherwise, we're going to be back in the situation where not enough people are getting the uh, boosters and uh, COVID's going to be on the rise again. Uh, John, you just told us that you have recently turned 65. So when you hear adults 65 to 79 who have not had a known history of being infected with COVID, are you ready to get another shot this spring? When you're 65, it's almost like you're discovering yourself all over again, right? You go to see the doctor and they have a checklist and you go, you say, have you had the the uh, pneumonia shot and the shingles shot and you look at the nurse and say no i haven't and they go roll up both arms please you know and then you get it right there and you move to the next list of questions and it's you, you go through this list and i just said to her uh this was on thursday i said you know when do when am i next available to get this and she checked uh you know when i got it last she said you should be coming up for it and i'm you know i've had covid once i had a, a light version if you can call it that but I wanted specifically to ask about it because it's free. It could be life-saving. I'm going to go and get it as soon as it's there. Uh, and I got everything else that I uh, I had to get while I was there. So, again, it's why take the risk? There's a study that uh, was put out last week with a huge sample in the United States where they look at people who have had COVID a year after the fact, and the increase in potential stroke and heart problems is up one6 uh, over what it would have been before. So if you have been exposed, whether it be, you know, longer COVID or shorter COVID or lighter COVID or heavier COVID, whatever it is, and and to the other point, you may not know you've been exposed to it, best go and get the shot. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. There may be anti-vaxxers out there listening who want to come after me, but it's kind of like, that's my religion. I'm going to go and get it, and yeah. you're not going to change my view. John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion, Bill Van Gorder, Chief Policy and Chief Operating Officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. It was the largest annual general meeting of the Ontario Liberal Party in 20 years last weekend, but many are wondering if the Liberals will be able to come back from two major election defeats to either form the official opposition or become the governing party when Ontario voters go to the polls in 2026. Joining me on Monday to discuss, Bob Richardson, Liberal strategist and senior counsel to National Public Relations, and longtime Liberal MPP Mitzi Hunter. It was certainly a, an epic weekend. There were so many exciting moments, uh, the biggest of which was the almost unanimous passing of a constitutional amendment to change from a delegated um, form of voting for our leader to one that is a direct vote of each of the members, one member, one vote, um, to select the next leader of the Ontario Liberal Party and the next Premier of Ontario. And Mitzi, explain for us one member, one vote. How is it different from the traditional convention election of a new leader? 
This, this is vastly different. So in the traditional way, we had riding associations select 16 delegates and they would be sent to the convention, usually held in a central location like Toronto or Mississauga, to, to have um, that decision made. This is now where the members themselves will have an opportunity to vote directly and they will be able to, to choose in a ranked way their first, second and third or other you know, choices. And, and then that will be counted until someone is declared the winner of the party. This is extremely important to us as Ontario Liberals because the members of the party, the grassroots members, wherever they reside, uh, whether it's in the north or rural communities uh, or in the big cities, they will have a, a direct say. We've done it in a weighted format. So each riding will have a total of 100 points so that, uh, you know, our smaller northern and rural ridings will still have a say in who becomes our leader. Bob, how important was the AGM to the start of reversing fortunes for the Ontario Liberals? Well, I think it's no, uh, it's no secret that things were in pretty rough shape for the Ontario Liberals after the last election. And I think this uh, convention uh, needed to be successful. It needed to modernize the party. They needed to change the rules on selection for leader. And, uh, and they needed to elect a new executive. They did all those things. And they attracted a, a very large crowd, 15, uh, 1,500 people, which is one of the largest crowds in a long period of time for the Ontario Liberal Party. And if I might add, uh, kudos to uh, Mitzi, who's on the phone, who was one of the leaders uh, of the party um, trying to get the leadership process uh, successfully uh, changed. And uh, you guys did a great uh, job. So kudos to you, Mitzi. Yeah, that was the silver lining, wasn't it, Bob? The four liberals, people who voted liberal, the, the popular vote did not reflect the seat count whatsoever. Yeah, no, the, the seat count was not, was not, uh, was not favorable to the liberals. We'll leave it at that. But, but the, uh, but the vote, uh, but the vote count was or was an improvement. Still lots of work to do there to get traditional liberals to come out and, uh, and vote. And there's got to be a focus. The liberal uh, to the liberal message. Uh, there has to be a good team. I think any one of these candidates could recruit a good team, and uh, they got to get out there and work. It's uh, it ain't going to be handed to them. The Conservatives will be very tough. Uh, they'll be tough and well financed, and the NDP are a tough opponent, and they're not to be underestimated. So, Liberals have a lot of work to do, but they've also got a lot to work with. So, I think there's uh, some good opportunities in this coming election. And Jane, you know, one of the things that we have to work with that's really exciting that came through in our AGM on the weekend is our youth voice is very strong. Um, you know, I saw some young people, even as young as 18 years old, go to that mic and, you know, really fight for their voice in the leadership selection process. And they were listened to and their amendment went through. Uh, so there will be uh, 50 points um, for those youth clubs and those um, campus clubs as well. So we, we, we do have that as a very strong and encouraging part of our party as well as the, the role of young people in the, in the party. Longtime Liberal MPP Mitzi Hunter and Bob Richardson, Liberal strategist and senior counsel to National Public Relations. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. 
Coming up after the break, the issue of foreign interference in Canada's elections gains traction with the Trudeau Liberals. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced Monday evening that there would be a new investigation by the Commons National Security Committee on foreign interference. And he said in the coming days he would name an independent special rapporteur who will make expert recommendations on protecting and enhancing Canadians' faith in our democracy. Conservative leader Pierre Poiliev was critical in response and even mocked the Prime Minister for his plan to get a special advisor involved. Joining me to discuss developments up until this past Tuesday, our Recovering Politicians panel. Representing the New Democrats, Glenda Bearmaker, former Toronto City Councillor, John Malloy, former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister, and Jason Leader, Conservative Strategist and President of Enterprise. It's been a tough couple of weeks for the Prime Minister, right? He's gone from this didn't really happen to it's no big deal to it didn't affect the election results, which I actually, I believe um, he was right in that case to, you know, we don't really need to do anything about it to you're a racist. If you believe it to, um, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to organize something and we're actually going to look into this now. So he's been pushed, you know, for a couple of weeks now it's, he's mishandled it badly. He's had to overcorrect now, or at least try to correct his his actions. And I'll just say, I, I thought it was a pretty sad spectacle yesterday. He was, you know, into breathless fighting for his life, Justin yeah. Trudeau. And, and it was a really weird thing to see. And, you know, he could have cleared this up months ago, right? He could have sat down with the nation and leveled with us and said, Hey guys, um, it looks like the Chinese regime was trying to mess up our last couple of elections. Here's what they did. It didn't really have an impact. Here's what, you know, we believe the impact could have been. And here's what we're trying to do to stop it. Instead, he spent months and months and months telling us it didn't, wasn't really a big deal. And, and now he's stuck with this. And I'll just say, um, sort of one last thing. If it weren't for the, you know, he, he wanted to be sort of proud of himself yesterday about, you know, how he was doing these things. If it weren't for the Globe and Mail breaking these stories, we wouldn't have even known that any of this stuff happened. And, and I think it's sort of incumbent on the PM in these kinds of times to have, you know, give us enough confidence that our elections are being fought fairly. And I think that he should have done this a long time ago. So he badly mishandled this file. Right, because when the whistle is blown, uh, the best strategy is always to come clean. John Malloy, would you agree? Well, I certainly agree with that, that statement. It's best to come clean. I guess I have a little more uh, sympathy for the prime minister. I mean, I agree that, uh, you know, there's been mixed signals coming from Ottawa. But at the same time, this is about national security. This is about intelligence issues. Um, you know, it, it, we may have found it puzzling when someone, you know, one of the, I think it was the deputy minister who said that there's a difference between intelligence and, and, and facts. But there is some truth to that. I mean, it's very, very messy, the in world of intelligence uh, from the inside. I think from the outside, it's probably even messier to try to look at it. And so I have some sympathy, the idea that a, you know, full public inquiry, everything on, on display 
is uh, not the best way to go with uh, highly confidential and, and, and sensitive issues. So I think the Prime Minister has been between a, a rock and a hard place. I think Mr. Polyev was, uh, you know, it was a little ridiculous. They haven't named this individual yet, and already uh, the leader of the opposition is condemning them. I mean, come on, give me a break. Let's let's see who the Prime Minister names. And, uh, uh, you know, if they are a person of credibility and of stature, then let's listen to what they have to say. But I think we've got to cut the intelligence community a little bit of a break. Uh, they, they, they work in secrecy for a reason. Glenn DeBearmaker, what are your thoughts on the latest announcements and reactions? I am really not um, worried or frightened of, of a full public inquiry and, and let the shine the light on that corner of the world. Let us Canadians as intelligent people come to our own conclusions. Uh, certainly so far, though, uh, I mean, all of us are talking. There's not actually anything we can point to. There have been accusations, no proof today. As of today, we're all talking to each other. There's no proof, not not one little inkling of proof. Um, what there is is an accusation that, that, that some Chinese foreign students signed up for a nomination meeting and went and voted in a nomination uh, meeting, and that some uh, senior citizens were bussed in from a senior's home to vote in that same nomination meeting. I mean, horror of horrors. Senior citizens being bussed in from an old age home to vote in a nomination meeting? I mean, I've been in uh, nomination meetings for 35 years. That's what people do. I would challenge any political party to tell me that they've never had a candidate who's bust in senior citizens from a senior's home to vote for their favorite candidate. So, so far, I haven't seen anything that that disturbs me, but I want to see, I would like to see a full inquiry to see everything, and then let me and all of my neighbors make our, our own minds up on, on whether it's Chinese or whether it's the Americans or whether it's the Russians that are trying to control our democracy. Glenn DeBearmaker, former Toronto City Councillor John Malloy, former Ontario Liberal Cabinet Minister, and Jason Leader, Conservative Strategist and President of Enterprise. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Wednesday, the CEOs of Canada's largest grocers appeared before a parliamentary committee and insisted they are not driving up food prices to make more money. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was among the MPs asking tough questions, including how can you justify record profits when families are struggling to put food on the table? That was put to Loblaw Chair and President Galen Weston, who replied by saying grocery chain profits are not the reason for food inflation. He said profits translate right down to the bottom line at $1 per $25 of groceries. And he said if you consider Loblaw's growth in profit in 2022, it is 25 times lower than the unprecedented increase in costs that are being faced by the industry and the world. Sylvain Charlebois is director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, which found Loblaw's gross profit in the first half of last year beat its previous best results by $180 million. He joined Libby on Thursday, the morning after the CEO's testimony. Well, I think that David will agree on the first one, which would be to understand how much profits uh, come from food sales, specifically isolating food sales from cosmetics, clothing, prescription drugs. If you look at uh, Loblaw's financial statements, you can clearly see that Shoppers is, is a bank. I mean, it's generating a lot of income for, for the banner, too. 
I would certainly ask questions about the blackout period, the so-called blackout period for three months. Vendors aren't allowed to increase prices, uh, prices they charge to, to grocers. And I never understood the practice today because in October, uh, vendors boost prices uh, and then they jack up prices again in February, which is exactly what we saw. Mm-hmm. I would ask COs how consumers benefit from these blackout periods. I just don't see the benefit for for all of us. David, what do you make of the CEOs appearing tomorrow? And will we get uh, better information than when the executives appeared in December? And what should they be asked? Yeah, I think Sylvain is quite right that unfortunately in these political committee meetings, you do, I mean, MPs are often trying to score political points and to look good you know, to their constituents and so on. It is a real opportunity, though, to ask those very specific questions. Okay, look, profit margins are up. What's the disaggregation of those margins between food versus non-food? Or even within those food categories, you know, fresh food versus meat versus uh, dried goods and so on. It is an opportunity where you could ask pointed questions. I think it might also be an opportunity uh, to ask pointed questions about whether additional information would be provided to the Competition Bureau that is investigating this exact issue. Uh, now, the invest- unfortunately, the, the Competition Bureau's, um, uh, their study can't compel the grocery chains to give them more information that isn't already available in the public domain. Of course, this, the, you know, these companies could volunteer that information if they wanted to, and I think this would be a great opportunity to ask those CEOs to commit to volunteering that information to better understand this trend of food inflation. Uh, You know, the CEOs have been quite adamant that they are merely passing on price increases that they are seeing from their own suppliers further down the supply chain. Uh, There's certainly some truth to that. That doesn't mean they can't make money on it, obviously. Uh, And it certainly doesn't mean that their margins aren't up, which they clearly are. Um, But it is very much an opportunity and a public opportunity that isn't going to come around very often to ask much more pointed questions uh, to get answers, as Sylvain said, to the questions we, we really haven't gotten answers to uh, at this point, certainly not in a, you know, in a way where they're all seated in the same room in front of the same committee. I'll get final comments now from our experts. I guess, um, as we say goodbye, Sylvain, what, uh, what do you feel would be the best outcome uh, for tomorrow's testimony? Best outcome is to let CEOs talk, uh, ask tough questions, specific questions. Uh, and also, uh, I would remind your listeners that the Competition Bureau is doing a study right now. Uh, they're going to be publishing their study in June about the food industry. And my guess is that's why grocers are showing up. Uh, they're certainly concerned about changes to the Competition Act, and I, that's likely to happen later this year. So stay tuned. David McDonald, uh, best outcome in your opinion? I certainly think uh, some commitment by the grocers to provide more information to exactly that Competition Bureau study would be a, a great outcome. Uh, in addition to getting, frankly, any additional information disaggregating uh, some of the profit margins by, uh, you know, the different things that happen in grocery stores, food separated out from other things. Those, I think, would both be great outcomes. Uh, I'm not sure we'll see them, but uh, they, they would be good outcomes if we did see them. Sylvain Charlebois, Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. I'm Jane Brown, and this is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Brian in Toronto phoned about what he would like to see done about foreign interference in Canada's elections. Scandal after scandal after scandal. Somehow, uh, Mr. Trudeau seems to be like the Teflon Don. But I believe that this should be an absolute open public non-political inquiry. This should not be a committee from the government. This should not be a committee even representing multiple parties. This should be an independent, open public inquiry. Otherwise, it can get skewed, in my opinion. Joan in Niagara called with a thought on how to resolve the foreign interference issue. Don't we have a national security? It's called CFIS. Why are inept politicians running uh, an inquiry. Isn't that what we have thesis for? Sita in Mississauga phoned about the reaction she had to her latest COVID booster. So I was again sick last week. I went and got the COVID vaccine. Um, Sick for 24 hours with headache, fever, and, and so and this happened with any every other vaccine I take, yet I am proud doing my part to protect and stop the spread. Sue in Mississauga called about the city program, which clears the snow banks at the end of your driveway after a storm. So I have a million um, ailments in my body, and I tried using the program in Mississauga for a couple of years. It does, however, cost, I don't know what it is in Toronto, but in Mississauga, it costs $200 for the season. And um, my experience was they didn't come out for at least three days to do the bottom of your driveway. And you've got a million places you need to be, you need to go, and three days just didn't cut it. So right. I stopped signing up for the program. Okay. So with my million ailments, I still end up having to shovel out my driveway. And you're doing it yourself. I'm doing it myself. And I'm in my 60s yeah. and, and have all kinds of fun stuff going on in my body. But um, you do what you got to do, right? Yeah. And the programs, although they sound great, I just wanted to let you know that, uh, yeah, they don't come within 24 hours usually um, because they're out there doing other stuff. Right. And, and it costs money. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is June in Mississauga, who phoned about a dilemma facing many older Canadians. As a um, senior who has to cook for one um, and try to make your dinners um, palatable and get the proper nutrition, I find this very difficult when you shop because all of this two-for-one sale is the worst thing that they could do, um, in my mind, for seniors who cook for one. Um, But I did go shopping yesterday, and I was pleased to find in a no-frills store um, 375 grams of lean ground beef for $3. It was just the right size of package that I could probably get three meals out of it. 
That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi. With technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.